This week's guest on the podcast is Caroline Trowbridge, project manager at Metris Energy and board member at Women in Cleantech and Sustainability. Take a listen. Caroline, thank you for joining us on the show today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Metris Energy does? Thank you for having me, Phil. I'm happy to be here this morning. Metris is a sustainable energy finance company based in San Francisco, and we provide a -a as-a-service model for predominantly energy efficiency retrofits in commercial industrial buildings. So large multi-million dollar projects that customers don't want to finance on their own, we would own and operate and uh, oversee over a lifetime of the asset's life. And the customer doesn't have to pay anything up front and they just get a portion of the savings over the course of the term. So we're providing solutions for customers to reach their sustainability targets without coming out of pocket. Um, You know, that's really the commercial uh, solar energy market is a really interesting one. And I know one of the challenges of that market is usually the renters will pay the utility bills. So what type of challenges in, in, in that way, the the owners of the building have no real incentive for putting solar on. Do you see that being a problem or is there other more bigger challenges for maybe a commercial or industrial um, uh, user to implement a renewable energy, solar um, energy? Yeah, it's a great question. Ownership is key and who is actually paying for these assets and and for the energy that's being used is entirely dictates the model that you would set forth. I think one of the, the, the customers that we work with are either owners of their buildings, uh, like their um, maybe hospitals or universities or, or if they're commercial industrial and they don't own their buildings, they may lease their buildings and then in that way they we have to work with the landlords because we're taking out all their equipment and then putting in our own equipment and then the lease term might end and so that is an absolute factor and can limit some of the variables in our model so more of the uh, more of your customers would be the ones that actually occupy and own the building like a hospital or a university is that an easier uh, uh, customer right or it's certainly easier to go into long-term terms with uh, those customers or public sector you know the city hall is going to be there for a long time and right. so people feel more comfortable entering large financial agreements but the others absolutely an option and it just requires working with uh, landlords and whoever actually is the rate payer. Okay. So you do have some, that's, that's great. That's encouraging that uh, 
I know that was one of the challenges we had as a renter of a commercial industry. Uh, uh, how, how do you see the change in solar deployment going into these large practices? Is that increasing in the recent years or do you see that as being steady? Uh, what type of rate um, do you see in the most recent, like four or five years? So most recently, up until, you know, about a year ago, we have been predominantly an energy efficiency company. And I think we have found that we needed to incorporate solar and storage and EV charging since these customers, in the true sense of trying to find a service provider for sustainability, they don't really want to work with four different companies that are specialists in all those different assets. And so we're trying to create like a one-stop shop for customers, but, um, and because people are asking for solar and it, that is just became evident to us that it needs to be part of our package, but we have only kind of started to, okay. to be a part of that plan here. But so really it's been the energy efficiency. So do you see a lot of, with the energy efficiency deployment, do you see uh, increase any changes that are notable, um, certain types of renew, uh, energy efficiency or certain industries that are looking at it more? Yeah, so the lowest hanging fruit is lighting. Like if you haven't done LEDs at this point, then <laughs> you need to do it soon. <laughs> like it's such an obvious, simple payback. You can make that installation and five years later be making money off of it and saving so much energy and helping the environment and meeting your sustainability goals. I think in five years from now, most people will have done those LED retrofits. And so will the industry is going to need to find the new LED, like something else that has a low enough simple payback that it can carry the more aggressive retrofits that need to happen also to rooftop units, air handling units, boilers, chillers, those measures that have a 30-year simple payback and are less financeable within, you know, a leased building or what we were just talking about. So those are the, the, the problem, but also an opportunity for innovation in the energy efficiency space is to find another thing that can drastically change the energy usage of a building and carry along some of those other measures that still need to happen. Do you see uh, one, you know, some, some of those that maybe they don't have the technology now where it really could use? Is it like air conditioning, heating, airflow? What, it, what do you see as really an opportunity out there for an, an entrepreneur that has some ideas? I think the, HVAC, the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, that is still, there. there is an opportunity, like heat pumps are becoming more popular, but, and they change the fuel usage and that's really good for the environment to electrify some of that um, heating that might have otherwise not been driven by electricity versus other fuel sources. But if you're not getting a cost benefit from that, then you're less incentivized to do these installations. And I think what we're finding is 
some of the best measures out there for climate for mitigating climate change where you're transitioning from really awful fuels to electricity aren't necessarily being appropriately priced for that carbon and if you're in a state with a really low utility rate which is a lot of how our economics are driven is around the utility rate and showing that customers are saving energy and that they're therefore saving costs uh, then it's hard to finance some of those deals and so we're trying to figure out a way to have carbon be more appropriately priced and so that those deals can actually be financed by companies like us so you see a lot of regional variations and it's really tied to anything that you implement is really tied to the cost in the end the cost of either electricity or fuel in that region so you see a lot of that variation then exactly if you could save the same amount of energy in two different states and have very different uh, dollar savings related to those because it's simply, you know, energy savings times the utility rate equals your dollar savings. So if you're paying twice as much for your energy in California than you are in South Dakota or something like that, then you are going to save twice as much money in California by reducing that energy and therefore there's so much more that pencils in California than in the center of the country where maybe there's a lot more carbon in the grid. What about reliability? I know in California we had our fires where also the grid comes down uh, because of, of either mandated blackouts and then you had in Texas times where uh, you know, the grid came down because of the improper preparation. Do you see any recently any focus on um, this uh, sustainability also tying into reliability? Um, has that flowed yeah. through the market? Yeah, to your. I don't. I think when it comes to energy efficiency retrofits, that's not so much. Um, customers aren't as focused about resiliency when they're making that type of investment. Mm -hmm. But I do think a lot of customers are investing in storage just so that they have their own backup power. Um, and then generally, I think what we see with from utilities are these incentive programs to reduce energy, like many utilities will pay you a, a good amount of money for make sure that they can meet their constituents needs so do you see a lot more of that in i mean in in places like california where they have more variations due to the solar uh is there more utility incentives for this type of um, uh, decrease in demand load than you would see in say another state like in the central uh Part of the country where do you see a variation in that um, the uh, utility base incentives for controlling load it's a really good question and i should look into it further okay. I, I don't actually know i mean each utility program has its yeah. own 
reason for doing it, but they're not always as explicit about whether it's resiliency focused or not. Right, it's kind of difficult to know all the variation, the different utilities across those. But uh, so most of you, a lot of your customers are more probably in the uh, states with a higher uh, cost of uh, energy, uh, I, I would assume that. Yeah, it, it, that is the way it is right now. And I think what, then you look at where you can get the highest you know, carbon for your dollar invested in those, that's like the inverse location on the map. Yeah. And as a company that's very mission driven and part of our goal is to, you know, help mitigate climate change, we are we're kind of at a loss of how to finance some of these deals where carbon's not priced appropriately. Yeah. So one of the things I, I want to have time is ask, you're also uh, uh, a, a chairman, I believe, in women in clean tech. Can you tell me a little bit about that and and correct me if I, I got your title and, and uh, <laughs> board member. Board member, right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability is a nonprofit that is headquartered here in San Francisco, but a, a global institution. And we our goal is to support and um, showcase and move the needle as much as we can of getting women and female identifying professionals involved in the industry. We're not just an organization for women only. It's a, we have many male um, members and it's just kind of, you have to believe in the support of women. I think we all kind of know that this industry is fairly male dominated. And um, so that as a woman, I, I really value this community, but also I think it makes a lot of sense to have, rather than siloed women in their various companies, um, having some sort of unity so that you can see the successes of other people. So how do you how do you bring that uh, that community some more awareness of women in, and how how do you do that? What what methods do you bring? So we have a, a membership base. We have 500 members uh, in, I think, maybe six countries now. And before the pandemic, we were much more local. We were much more California-based. And maybe the one of the few silver linings of a global pandemic was that we were forced to rethink what community meant now that we were in a remote world. And we now have this remote membership opportunity where people in any state, any country can tune into our events, can see our job board, can um, connect and network. And I think what we what we try to do is just be a central platform for people to come together and and then also you know, highlight the people who are getting ahead. So you, you have a, a, an event coming up. I think you were mentioning it's uh, looking at implementing some uh, solar that's near to and dear to my heart. But uh, uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what, what are you planning to do with that event? So we, we try to cover the industry at large. We're both clean tech and sustainability. And so um, we have various various events on the calendar. And I think we do have a solar event at some point this year, but one event that we, I think, 
relates closely to what you all do is more talking about what it means to recycle solar. Right. Like recycle the panels and and also, you know, batteries from EVs and all those clean tech technologies that are so necessary, but I think we're a little blinded in thinking about what it will actually look like when they no longer work and need to then be recycled back into our world. So what type of people are you bringing together uh, to this event? Is this uh, uh, academics or industry leaders? What type of, what? tell me what this event looks like or sounds like, I guess, virtually. <laughs> so for any event, we try to bring in a, a range of perspectives. Like this one in particular is, you know, is, not entirely solidified at this point so um, it's yeah. possible it'll have a different breakout than what i'm about to say but yeah. we try to have someone who's a leader in the private sector and then if it is a particularly technical aspect especially something that isn't that common and something that needs you know a preface then we'll have an academic as well and um usually it's about three panelists with various perspectives. And I think what we try to do is take a topic that's maybe at surface level, like solar panels, sure. Mm -hmm. Most of the industry knows roughly what that is, but then find that more controversial topic, like what does it mean to recycle those solar PVs and dig into that later in the, the panel. Yeah. So, and and really, the focus though of your of the group is to show um, successes of women in clean tech and bring more women to the fo uh, into the public perspective and and, and understand all their contributions. Uh, how how have you seen that change in the last few years? Have you seen more women in clean tech have you seen what 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 does it look like what's the uh, uh area yeah so in the past year i think diversity equity and inclusion has become much more central to corporations generally but also in the clean energy sphere a lot of companies have made public statements especially around the Black Lives Matter movement. I think a lot of the, um, I think there's a lot of attention right now on making this industry more inclusive. And we haven't fully seen the, the fruits of that attention. And I think people still need to, uh, like those companies can't just make a statement and that be it. Like there needs to be some sort of accountability. And I think, a lot of companies have joined Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability as corporate members in the past year. And I, we've had seen extreme growth because of that. We, we just wanna make sure that it's not some sort of sticker that people are, companies are putting on themselves to say, look, we did it. Uh, we paid some money and that's it. I think you need to see, a, like at the leadership level, at the board, 
executives, and then also your interns and like entry level, like that's where it starts so that in 15 years, those people are executives. So, do you, you know, being a, uh, a, a CEO of a small company, I'm just wondering, have you seen what are the challenges these companies are facing to bring more diversity and specifically more women in? Have you seen any specific things that the companies have fed back and said, hey, we'd like to, but this is what our challenges are. Have you, what do you see as being the challenges that you face? It's a great question. So when I started at Metris, I was the fifth employee and I was the only woman for maybe nine months. And, but now three of the four leadership team are women and almost half the company's female identifying. And so I think the smallest companies have the best opportunity to set that tone really early on. Like one woman or a few women in the company can make a really big difference. It's much harder if you have not paid attention to this for an extensive amount of hiring. And now you have a 70 person company that's predominantly male and white. Mm -hmm. That's not a company that then a really talented woman wants to go work for. And so it's much harder to attract the talent at that point. So you think it's, it's kind of the environment. So a, a woman's coming to look at a job and she's looking at the environment that she's walking into. So that's one of the challenges of that company is what type, what, what type of environment are the potential candidates uh, facing? Yeah, especially since, you know, there is this wave right now of attention on hiring women and people of color. Those, if you have a really talented person who identifies in either of those ways or any other diversity aspect, then they will have a lot of companies to choose from mm -hmm. because there is this focus on hiring for those roles. And so it is much harder for a woman to enter a company where it's predominantly male and there's that culture around, like, especially if there's like really toxic culture, that's especially mm -hmm. bad. But if there's not a proof that this is something that the company has valued for a long time because you've hired 70 white people, or white men, then mm -hmm. it's hard to take them for their word when they say that this is something that they value. Yeah. So it's really, it's the perception when they first, uh, when somebody's interviewing and, and looking at the, uh, the company culture. So that, that, that's an interesting, you know, I know as a small company, usually what we do is we look for a very specific specialty. And then you look at all the candidates that come in and so somebody is saying, okay, I just have to find, you know, somebody that's available and meet all these requirements. And, um, you know, you can have a goal, but sometimes it's the, the, the practicality is you need somebody with a PhD and expertise and some type of semiconductor. And, and it's really about the pool of candidates available. So I think, you know, it's, it's important to have a, uh, uh, more women in STEM in, in those fields, at least in the, you know, for the hiring, for the technical 
Um, and so I, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a complex problem, I think in, in many I, ways. I totally agree. And it, it sounds like you and many companies in our industry are, are looking for very technical people and mm -hmm. it's, you know, unfortunately it starts at like middle school of when <laughs> people start to decide whether they're technically like how they feel about their themselves in the technical role. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you can ask any person what your last math class was. And so many of them will say like freshman algebra of high school. And then, you know, that's it. Like it, it's a linear path. Like if you didn't make it to calculus, then, then you're not going to go into physics and you're not going to, yeah all of those things and so we as an industry need to focus on the early stage so that there's more of a pipeline so that you have the candidates that have that phd later on yeah so i just wanted i think it was really interesting i saw that you're an avid bicyclist and uh some of the things you've done is uh lead tours for high school and but you've also uh, led a tour to bike across the country. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, different different type of job than what I currently yeah. do. <laughs> At that time, I was me and another 22 year old led 12 high schoolers across the country, unsupported, for six weeks. It was wild, the most stressful, challenging job of my life for sure. Uh -huh. I like barely slept. Um, we went across the U.S. South, and so started in Charleston, ended in Los Angeles. Wow. Would recommend. For wow, sure. that's, that's really, and how long did it take? Six weeks. Wow. So were you camping outside, or were you doing the uh, hotels, or was it a combination? Or So it was honestly just too hot to like <laughs> fully re-regulate your body temperature with camping and so we stayed in churches we had wow had like a a series of churches that were set up by this company it's not a religious company but um mm. we would stay in the rec rooms like a few times i slept on pews wow wow that sounds really interesting i, I you know great opportunity for those kids too um yeah well, I've, uh, we're running out of time. I'd like to uh, thank you for joining us. It's been very interesting to see many of your, uh, your, your complex and very interesting background. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Phil. It's great to be here. We just heard from Caroline Trowbridge, project manager at Metris Energy and board member at Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability. If you'd like to see more, Check us out at www.pinergy.com. That's www.pienergy.com. Thank you for listening.